good morning. If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, we're going to be spending a little bit of time there in just a moment in the book of Romans as we study from God's Word this morning. While you're turning there, I would like to say how encouraged I am by each and every one of your, your presence. I, I am always thankful for the opportunity that we have to come together, to worship our God together, and to, to build up one another in this walk that we that we go through each and every day. A couple of years back, I'm going I'm to take our minds back before we, we get into Romans, um, to the year 2014. There was a news story of a man who would walk his 15-year-old daughter to school, and then he would return at the end of school, and he would walk her home. They lived in a, in a rough neighborhood. Uh, the school was in a, a rough part of town, and he was wanting to make sure that his daughter was, was safe on the way there and on the way back. On March 21st of that year, on their way home from school, a man bumped into his daughter and then turned and proceeded to hurl racial epithets at them. So the father pulled his 15-year-old daughter behind his back, and the man began to, to strike him and hit him very hard in the chest. He tried to defend himself, but moments later he collapsed in a nearby business and was rushed to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead at the scene. Racially fueled stories like that have become commonplace in our world today. We see this on the news over and over again. It doesn't seem to change. We are a world, we live in a world that seemingly is filled with hate and filled with violence. But this morning, I want us to step back from that. I want us to step away from the violence and the hate and the story from the racial tensions. And I want us to notice, in the midst of this, an act of devotion and an act of love committed by a father towards his daughter. He walked her to school. He cared for her well-being. He shielded her from an assailant. And he gave his all for her. See, this man understood what it meant to be a devoted father. And the Bible, likewise, calls for us to be devoted as well. To devote our lives to God. And that devotion is one that enables us to give our all to God. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. That's what God desires from us. And that's what is expected. And in many ways, we as Christians, we know that we should do this. We know that we should be totally devoted to the Lord. And it's not that we don't understand the command. The problem lies in understanding the hows. How do we devote our lives to God? How do we give our all to God? And I want to spend just a few, a few short minutes this morning studying and thinking about how that question is answered in three ways in Romans chapter 12. In just the first two verses of Romans chapter 12 is what we'll be looking at this morning. And the first way that Romans 12 teaches us to devote our lives to God is found in verse 1. When Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable 
service. Paul says here to present your bodies. And, and when he says that, that word bodies, it refers to your whole being. Everything that makes you who you are. From the physical body to the spiritual and the, the emotional body. Everything that describes you is to be presented to God a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to Him. Again, Paul is talking here and setting up the argument about total commitment. And this is the same type of commitment that Jesus displayed on his earth. He requires from his followers a total and complete sacrifice. A total and complete and sacrificial commitment. If we want to be his disciples, if we want to be those who are following his teachings, we must recognize that that is how Jesus has shown us the way to salvation. By living a committed life that he requires. Turn over to 1 Peter for a moment. We'll be right back here to Romans in just a second. But in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read there together what it says about Jesus' life. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 22 through 23. Peter writes of Jesus who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who then when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus committed himself. He demonstrated full commitment. Maybe, maybe your translation says he entrusted himself. That's the level of commitment that Jesus made to God. That he wasn't, he wasn't going to have to worry about what was going to happen the next day or the next day. He wasn't going to have to worry about whether or not he would follow the commandments of the Lord because he had entrusted his life, entrusted his being. He had committed himself to doing God's will. He demonstrated that commitment for us and his commitment to live righteously. And he suffered in order to bear our sins upon the cross. That's what the very next verse would go on to tell us. By his stripes... We've been healed. If you'll allow me to ex try to illustrate this a little bit differently, I'm reminded of a cartoon that, I, that, I was, that was described to me. The cartoon goes, there was a pig and a chicken as they walked down the road together. And as these, these two animals walk down the road, they come upon a sign for a, a benefit breakfast to help the poor. And the chicken turns to the pig and he says, we need to do something about this. How about we make an egg and ham breakfast platter? Well, the pig turns to the chicken and he says, well, wait a minute. For us to do that only requires a contribution on your part. But for me, it requires a total commitment. Now, too often today, many Christians want to make a contribution to the Lord. To contribute their lives to God. But will you make a commitment to Him? Will you present your body? Will you present your whole being to God? Paul goes on to tell us another way in devoting our lives to Him involves, as it says in verse 2, not being conformed to this world. One of the greatest hindrances to our devotion, one of the greatest things that that battles against our devotion to God is the trappings of this world. Or maybe better put, the trappings of this age in which we live. 
If we continue to focus on these things, if we continue to focus on the, the, the things that are around us, the things that oftentimes uh, try and, and, and pull us in different directions, our lives will lack devotion to God. And this isn't, this isn't something that Satan doesn't know. This has been his tactic from the beginning, is to try and pull the focus of God's people away from him. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, Satan was there persuading Eve to place her focus on the one thing that God had said you shall not partake of. To take her focus away from the beautiful garden in which they lived. To take her focus away from the fact that God literally walked with them in the garden and talked with them in the garden. That God had prepared this place and they had this amazing relationship with Him. You take your focus off of these things and look at the one thing God has said you shall not partake. He was there on the other side of Jordan. When the, when the spies came back from Canaan. And he was saying, you remember those things that you saw. Focus on the giant men, on the mighty men, on the, the, the cities with, with fortified walls. You focus on the things that should distract you from the fact that God has said, I have already given you this land. Take that focus away from those, those mighty walls that will one day protect you. And place it more on the fact that you can't do this. He was there on the rooftop with David when he saw Bathsheba. And he placed his focus again not on, not on his own wives, not on the work that, that certainly needed to be done by the king of Israel, but again, he enticed David to place his focus on something else. Turn over to Luke chapter 10. Because we see that this doesn't always work for Satan. Sometimes he can't remove our focus. Sometimes Jesus is just too close to us for him to remove the focus of Jesus out of our lives, but he can certainly distract us with other things still. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This is Jesus. Jesus traveling with his, with his uh, disciples and his companions. And she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus was literally right in front of Martha. She had welcomed him into her house. It doesn't get much more closer physically than that relationship that they had. And yet, Satan distracted Martha. Her focus was still on Jesus. She was serving him. She was looking at this as, this is a very good thing to do. And Satan placed her her, her focus on those things and made them a distractment from the fact that Jesus was right in front of her teaching and she was not listening. We need to keep, we must keep our eye on the prize despite the hindrances that Satan places in our ways. As the Hebrew writer said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. In Hebrews 12. Then Paul gives us one more way, a third way to devote our lives to God. That's found in the latter part of verse 2. He says, not being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we become Christians, 
When we become followers of Christ, God wants to reshape and to transform, to mold as, as the potter molds clay our way of thinking. He wants us to see things, not in the way that we have constantly or, or we, we used to see things, not in the way the world sees things. He wants us to see things in the way that He sees things. And there may be no better person to write these words in Romans than the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says to Agrippa over in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verses 4 through 5. Paul says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the, uh, from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. What does this say about Paul's thinking? Well, it says that it certainly wasn't transformed thinking. This was very worldly thinking uh, that coincided with much of the world around him. In fact, if we go back a little bit to his defense in Acts chapter 22 and read there in verses 3 through 5, he describes a little bit more of that thinking. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of, all of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So not only was Paul a strict Jew, he directly opposed, he strictly opposed Christ persecuting the people who followed him all the way even to death. And you know, we might think about a person like that today and say a person like that, a person like that is no good. A person like that has no hope. A person like that is somebody that we need to avoid. A person like that is someone that, that we need to try and just, if we see them, let's go to the other side of the street. There's no chance for a person like that. And you know what? That's about the same sort of thinking that Ananias had. Whenever God sends a message to him saying, you go to Paul. Ananias responds in, in chapter 9 saying, basically, do you, do you know what this guy has done? Don't you know all the terrible things this guy has done? Why would I go to him? But Jesus had a purpose for Paul. Just like he has a purpose for you and for me and for everybody that walks this earth. His purpose was to witness to the love and the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ to the world. But to be able to do that, we must transform our thinking. Similar to the way Paul does. Over in Acts chapter 9, we read that his transformation was so swift and was so complete that it actually confused the people around him. In Acts chapter 9 verse 20, it says, Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the, the one, or is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that we might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. This man who once hated the way of Christ. Now, as 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, 
says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He once directly opposed Christ. Now he directly determines to commit his life and focus his teaching on Christ. See, God, God was reshaping Paul's thinking. And he does that through his word. The word that, he, that, that Paul heard on, on that road to Damascus. The word that he would study with men like Ananias. And it is through our reading and our study and our meditation and our storing up, our memorizing of God's Word that we begin to see things from God's perspective. And so our commitment, our focus, and our thinking plays very large parts in our devotion to God. Now in just a second, we're going to sing, we're going to sing number 325. I am resolved. We could replace that word resolved with devoted. I am devoted to no longer linger. I'm devoted to go to the Savior. I'm devoted to follow the Savior. I am devoted to enter the kingdom. That is what we have resolved our lives to do. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning, is that true? Can I sing this song? And can I sing it as a truth to God? Am I devoted to Him today? That devotion begins with our belief that God is. This is fundamental. And this is the first step in coming to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us it is the only way to please God. That is through our faith. Which means we must believe that He is. And believe that He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. Those who are devoted to seeking Him. So maybe a better question is, are we seeking God today? John 14, verse 6, Jesus tells us that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So if we are going to be seeking God, if we're going to be God-seekers and God-devotees, we must do so by coming through Christ, by being obedient to His will. Will you obey Him today? If you would like to do so, if there's anything which we as the saints here at Lake Street can do to help you in that walk, I would encourage you to please let it be known right now. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.